Greetings, true believers and newcomers alike. You're listening to the DCAU Review, hosted by Cal and Liam, streaming at DCAUreview.com and on your favorite podcast app. Excelsior! It's Spider-Man! Let's jam! I didn't say I was finished with you, Rockhead! Look out! Experience! Spider-Man! Nice move! I want to destroy you! Hey, watch it! The danger! Well, the mighty Spider-Man! He ain't my brother! He's heavy! Extreme! Hang on! This time, I'm at the top of my game! Come down here and fight like a man! I don't suppose I could convince you to come up here and fight like a spider? Spider-Man! Welcome, everybody, to the DCAU Review. I am one of your hosts, Cal. And with me, my good friend, good brother, the man that runs our Twitter page. That's right. It's the 203rd edition of the DCAU Review. I I don't even know. Are we the DCAU Review anymore, Liam? What is going on? Yeah, this is is a wouldn't it be funny if we did that? like hypothetical conversation gone awry uh it's april fool's weekend and (laughs) we're reviewing a marvel cartoon we did a poll we started with some just non-dc animation options it was whittled down to a marvel selection i really wanted to review x-men evolution or iron man uh, like the 90s dog movie before that I mean, that was that was number one yeah <laughs> star wars and channing tatum dog movie were defeated by marvel <laughs> and then subsequently spider-man won out over the 90s iron man as well as x-men evolution and something else i can't even remember so <laughs> uh here we are we're reviewing spider-man the animated series uh the first episode of that series one week only a special treat for our <laughs> listeners uh and yeah, let's let's just dive right in. Yes, indeed, Liam, that's right. We are, of course, going to review the very first episode of Spider-Man the Animated Series for this very special edition of April Fool's DCAU Review. That's right, we are reviewing Night of the Lizard, which originally aired on Fox Kids back on November the 19th. 1994 and if you're checking your calendars and you're like wait a minute that was before the actual season premiere on fox kids you are correct because uh, as we'll get into here this showrunner the showrunner avi arad famously uh, also at the same time owned toy biz which was responsible for manufacturing a lot of action figures probably if you're listening to this program you may have had a couple but uh, avi wanted to make sure that this uh, this this episode got out before christmas so that kids would be clamoring for action figures uh, in, in time for the big holiday season but uh liam i believe you have of course just because it's april fools doesn't mean we're not following what we normally do here on the show i assume you have the official imdb synopsis brought to you by the pod tower that's right check out the pod tower on youtube for our entire back catalog as well as content from our other friends that do some dcau and actually other types of things maybe including marvel i don't know content. <laughs> that's right so this is the synopsis for night of the lizard which was written by jerry conway john semper john semper being kind of the the head producer of the show, uh, obviously, like I said, uh, Avi Arad as an executive producer had a lot of say as well, but 
Uh, and then uh, a third writer credited for this episode, a name we actually will recognize here, Stan Berkowitz. Oh, there you go. Um, and this episode was directed by Bob Richardson uh, with music uh, com- originally composed by, and I'm going to butcher these names and I already apologize, but uh, Shuki Levy, mm-hmm. uh, uh, or- orchestrated by Udi Harpaz. And uh, of course, the, the theme music, which we will certainly get to, was written and performed by Aerosmith's own Joe Perry. Mm-hmm. And uh, animation services are allegedly provided by TMS. So <laughs> another, uh, although it is noted, uh, if, you, if you do a little uh, sleuthing about the show and the production of it, that uh, sometimes, and we actually talked about this when we had uh, Kevin Altieri, friend of the show, on, on, uh, on an episode of our more traditional DCAU review episodes. And he mentioned that sometimes when it has that a certain company's name on the animation services, that work was being farmed out to uh, smaller studios that are kind of doing uncredited work, usually subsidiaries of the main one. So uh, it was uh, animation by TMS along with a uh, soul movie, uh, soul meaning uh, the, the city or state in South Korea, not the uh, not S-O-U-L. <laughs> But anyway, after all of that, a lot of words, a lot of names, we are getting to our official IMDb synopsis, and here it is. It reads as such. A giant lizard has been spotted in the subways, and J. Jonah Jameson is willing to pay $1,000 to the photographer who gets the creature on film. Peter Parker turns to his college professor, Dr. Kurt Connors, for answers, but not the answers he suspects. Excelsior! <laughs> I may have I may have added a few words here and there into that, but uh, that's right. Face front, true believers. Uh, <laughs> Standing ovation for me over here. <laughs> uh, at least we're having fun. Oh goodness! All right. Well, a breakdown of the plot goes as such. That hey, that that was actually. Not, I mean, I, I have to give that an A just because of the Stan Lee voice, but mm-hmm. um, it, it was a little wordy. It was a little much. It was more than just the standard blurb. I felt like they went into too many details. You could have cut out. If I was a teacher, I would have gone mm-hmm. back and like scratched out the whole J. Jonah Jameson parts. Like this is not necessary to describe Agreed. what's happening on in the show. Um, all right. So we open up the episode and there's a pair of subway workers, question mark, working underground. There's some banter back and forth where we learn for some reason that I, that I assume had to be some sort of inside joke from the writers that one of the the gentlemen used to be a TV executive and is now working <laughs> underground. And uh, wouldn't you know it, as just as they're about to, uh, to encounter what appears to be one of the subways, uh, they also happen to encounter a set of glowing red eyes. That's right, these haunting glowing red eyes. They then scramble Scooby-Doo style as fast as they can out of the sewers to jump into this van uh, one of the, unfortunately, one of the the workers is caught by his ankle and is hanging on for dear life. The other one is trying to pull him into the van. Unfortunately, he's pulled back into the sewers and, well, like a true friend, the new guy just speeds off in the van. He leaves him for <laughs> dead. Says he he the, just screams about the haunting red eyes. And wouldn't you know, this finally catches the attention of our already established wall crawler. Spider-Man himself, who uh, does his best to stop the out-of-control vehicle from hurting too many citizens below. And Those eyes! They're after me! 
this? Another satisfied graduate of the New York City Cab Driving Academy? Hit the brake! Turn! Red eyes after me. Uh-huh. And did they belong to little pink elephants? No, mister, it was real. It was real, I swear. Yeah, all right, fine. Just don't let the cops blame this one on me, okay? The red eyes. The red eyes. Sure, pal. Whatever you say. New York City. Never a dull moment. He's kind of he's kind of suspect, despite the fact that he himself is a is a man with <laughs> the powers of a spider. He is a suspect of the fact that there's a pair of glowing red eyes living underneath of the sewer. And uh, does his best to mock this this poor soul who's just traumatized from his man his friend likely being eaten by this giant red eyed monster living in the sewers. <laughs> so this begins to start sort of the rumors as to just what this creature is that's living under there, and that's kind of is where we get our uh, our first introduction here to the larger cast outside of Spider Man. By the way. If you're not sure of what's happening at any point during this show, don't worry. There is ne- constant narration from Peter. He will not only tell you what he's thinking, he will tell you what's going on on the screen. He will tell you who every character is. It's great. You don't have to pay attention. This is the perfect show if you if you just want to put something on and you want to like scroll on your phone. Like you, all you have to do is just occasionally tune back in, and Peter will give you every piece of information at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty constant. Which I guess, to be fair, if we're being, is uh, is very much if this feels to me, and we can like this is more of an overview thought, but this feels very much if you read early Steve Ditko, Stan Lee, Spider Man comics, this is what they were. Like this is this is, and this comics kind of all in that area where the especially when the comics were done the Marvel method, which is where it was sort of loosely plotted out by the writer and artist together. And then the artist went and drew the whole thing. And then the uh, writer added dialogue and it's like, well, the whole story's been told. I guess I'll just write dialogue where they just say what's happening in the page. (laughs) And that is very much on display throughout this episode and probably throughout this whole series of memory serves. But yeah, we, uh, we head into the daily bugle where uh, we, have uh, Robbie Robertson along with J. Jonah Jameson and uh, some guy named Eddie Brock who are all sort of talking about this strange mutant lizard man that's stalking the sewers. And again, Peter's still a little unsure if he believes it, but uh, then J. Jonah Jameson tells him that he will give him a, he will give the photographer who gets a picture of the lizard $1,000 American. And that is enough to get Peter's interest. Peter, I have a new job for you. You've always gotten good shots of Spider-Man, right? Let's see what you can do with the lizard. The who? The lizard, Parker. If you'd ever get here on time, maybe you'd know what was going on. There have been reports of a giant lizard down in the subways. In this town, who'd notice? I'd notice. If this weren't serious, Parker, I wouldn't have gotten the assignment. I don't know about that, Brock. You're just the reporter I'd send on a wild goose chase. It's not a wild goose chase, smartmouth. Look, subway repairman, missing. His friend says the lizard got him. Boss, I got those names of the scientists who work with reptiles. Good. Then you can interview them for background. 
Right. Closest one's at Empire State. Name's Connors. Dr. Kurt Connors? You know him, Peter? He's one of my teachers, Mr. Robertson. He's an expert in recombinant DNA and reptile mutagenics. He's also a genius. Yeah, yeah, whatever. You'll be the contact with Connors from now on, kid. But, boss, the kid already knows him. And besides, do you have any idea what muto-what's-its are? Uh, Mr. Jameson, I still think this whole lizard thing is just a big hoax. Parker, the first one to get a photo of the lizard for my nightly news gets a $1,000 bonus. Uh, color or black and white? And uh, that kind of sets us off as, uh, as Peter goes looking for uh for the lizard and and heads to esu to to find uh see if his old friend and mentor uh professor connors can help him that's right he heads to the sewers he finds a giant footprint and uh takes a picture of it no lizard around but finds a footprint decides to take that to dr connors and uh runs into a supporting character who i had no idea existed uh, <laughs> or have ever heard of we talked about it before we went on the air liam this is you you pride yourself on being not a spider-man expert but you're you're pretty knowledgeable about this stuff especially characters uh, in in and around the the spider-man mythos and mm-hmm. this one even had you stumped yeah, not, not one I was familiar with, Deborah uh, Whitman. Oh, I should mention, just because it comes back a little bit later, there's also a scene of Peter Parker being home and uh, seeing uh, noticing that Aunt May is worried about not being able to make rent, which, again, another classic Spider-Man thing of this guy just being dirt poor and, like, seconds from being thrown out on the street at any point. So they do they do add that in that uh, Aunt May is, is a little concerned about the money and that kind of gives Peter a little extra motivation to try to get this photo as we go. But yes, we uh, we have Deborah and Peter sort of exchanging some quips as they go in and as they're sort of approaching Dr. Connor's office, it's sort of storming outside and and the power seems to be going in and out. And uh, Eddie Brock is also there in like one <laughs> shot. He just cuts one time to Eddie Brock, like looking from a hallway. And then I feel like we don't see him again. Why didn't, Uh, okay, this is pre, if you know anything about Spider-Man, Venom does not alert Spider-Man spider sense to mm -hmm. things because the symbiote costume, he once wore the symbiote costume. So it's, he's in, the symbiote is invulnerable. So he always has this problem of interacting with Eddie Brock or knowing when Mm -hmm. Venom is around. However, this is pre-Venom Eddie Brock. How did Spider-Man Spider-Sense not go off when Eddie Brock is like stalking <laughs> in a in a hallway right there? That- but, yeah, his Spider-Sense does go off in that scene, but I think it's because the lizard is there. So yeah. Right. <laughs> There's a loud crash coming yes. from, from Dr. Connors' lab. Um, yeah, he's he's going to ask him about this because Dr. Connors, of course, has uh, has has some expertise when it comes to rep- the uh, reptilians, of course. So uh, they break into Dr. Connors, or not break into, they hear this loud crash, they enter it, it's completely dark, as we've already mentioned, there's a, a power outage in the midst of the storm. We hear Dr. Connors' voice uh, telling Deborah to stay away. Unfortunately, she doesn't listen, she opens the door, Dr. Connors is there, and he has what looks to be a body wrapped up. I'm sorry, the lizard is there, it appears to be, he has uh, a body wrapped wrapped up in it in a in a some sort of carpet or something so he he jumps out the window something's wrong you're darn right you were suffocating me nice time for a brownout eh no kidding the storm must be causing it 
Who is it? No, stay away. Dr. Connors? Well, what's wrong? No, Deborah, wait. But it sounds like he needs help. Are you all right? The wind knocked out of me. What's that thing done to Doc Connors? Stop! Come back! Peter! Don't leave me here alone! It's all right. Everything's okay now. Peter is seconds away from exposing his secret identity, and then he remembers that that's probably not a good idea <laughs> as Deborah calls to him and begs, begs him not to leave her there alone. Uh, so as the lizard jumps out and escapes, Spider-Man is sort of left stroking his chin, wondering, uh, as the dialogue would let us know, just why someone would want to kidnap Dr. Kurt Connors, let alone some strange lizard man. So <laughs> this actually gives us a, a flashback as we we uh, see that Peter and, uh, and Dr. Kurt were working on a project together. And this, of course, is the classic lizard origin story here. He, Dr. Connors is missing his right arm. So his research is, uh, he's working on this research to hopefully take the reptilian ability to regrow limbs and apply it to humans uh, so that they can, you know, regrow limbs in the case of, he mentions in case of, of accidents or in, in post-war post or something like that, that people mm -hmm. humans would be able to regrow their limbs. And of course, we were introduced to his, his very interestingly named device, the Neogenic Recombinator. <laughs> what if there was a man and he turned into a lizard? What would we call this man? I got it. We call him the lizard. Go draw it, Steve. Right. Uh, <laughs> Oh man! But so the yeah. neogenic recombinator works, and wouldn't you know it? The mouse actually grows its uh, this <laughs> mouse that they're experimenting on grows its missing limb back. So this gives Dr. Connors some great hope. But then we flash back to the present day, and Peter is still stroking his chin, wondering just why and what connection this would have to Dr. Connors. So he decides he's going to pay Dr. Connors a visit, even though Dr. Connors they assume was rolled up in that carpet. He decides to mm -hmm. go to Dr. Connor's house. He's going to, he's going to interrogate his wife and go like, Hey, why <laughs> in the middle of the night, mind you. Right. Hello, ma'am. I just saw your husband get kidnapped by a big <laughs> lizard. What do you know? <laughs> yep. So he does just that. <laughs> Wouldn't you know? And uh, lurking outside very creepily is the lizard man himself. Mm -hmm. And uh, sort of staring in, looking at his wife and child. And we're at this point, we were unsure how much or if anything that his wife and child know. So as Spider-Man is there asking questions of uh, Dr. Connor's wife and his child, he happens to hear the lizard outside. And, and actually, the, the lizard's wife or Dr. Connor's wife notices that the lizard is out there and screams in horror. This leads to our first confrontation between Spider-Man and lizard as we have a small miniature battle that ends with spider-man being thrown into a treehouse. um we i don't know if we mentioned it and or, like there's not a lot of violence in this show because mm -hmm. of standards and practices and depending on who you ask they they said that the standards and practices were even more strict with this show versus what we're used to in batman the animated series mm -hmm. at the time i'm wondering if it was more of just a 
a skill thing of being able to to hide the violence like i feel like batman the animated series did a pretty good job of hiding most of their violence you see a, a fist come at somebody and the screen goes goes red or white mm-hmm. without actually seeing a punch connect this I, I feel like it was a little bit a little bit harder for them to uh to figure out how to mask some of that violence but a, a brief scuffle occurs and this allows the the lizard to escape however in the middle of the fight liam we learn that dr connor's wife knows that the lizard is indeed dr connor's and this is where spider-man is left a little bit bewildered yeah so yeah we uh yeah so the lizard is uh trying to attack eddie brock who i guess followed the lizard to the connor's home and uh spider-man stops him and as you said in the scuffle it's sort of revealed that the lizard is in fact dr connor's and yes we find out uh pretty quickly that uh that they are aware of it and that he is of course as you mentioned during these experiments uh was able to seemingly successfully grow his own arm back but uh, as he returned home he had already sort of begun to mutate and now he's turned into this sort of full uh, lizard dinosaur like form uh, that we know as the sort of the classic lizard design and uh, as they're sort of discussing this and discussing his identity and why they haven't gone to the police yet and they're they're worried that they would look at him as a monster and, and try to hurt him and and all of that uh Spider-Man happens to notice that, oh yeah, Eddie Brock's still around and here he overhears all of this and begins to try to run away, just like full sprint away. And so Spider-Man uh, doesn't, doesn't rough up Eddie at all, but he does uh, web him to a lamppost to keep him from going to the cops. Uh, however, while Spider-Man is away dealing with Eddie Brock, uh, there's, uh, the lizard is able to return and kidnap his wife margaret and sort of leave uh, leave his son i do love there's a little bit of dialogue as the son's like oh he took my mom down to, into the sewer you got to help him spider-man spider-man's like i will but first i'm gonna take you to your neighbor's house because it's bad because children shouldn't be left at home by themselves there's your lesson kids <laughs> sewers listen i'm gonna carry you to a neighbor's house where you'll be safe then i'll go get your mom and your dad too okay okay don't let anything happen to them and then we go and then we go to our our sort of final uh final little uh, action beat of the episode we have spider-man sort of crawling all around the sewers uh, trying to get down to the uh, to the lizard's lair uh, during that process, uh, he, he is able to find the other construction worker who we thought might have been uh, killed or eaten. Uh, but no, here he's, uh, he's still alive and Spider-Man promises to come back for him after he deals with the lizard. And then we get uh, sort of our final action beat where we, yes, we do uh, in fact find out that uh, the reason well, the lizard's plan is to use this device. He's going to hook it up to the power lines of the city which are located in the, in the sewers down here, which is why he kidnapped the one uh, worker, I guess, to help him rig this thing. Uh-huh. But then he needs human hands. He's, his lizard hands can't pull the trigger on this weapon. And so he needs his wife to pull the trigger uh, once it's hooked up to the power station. And so he will turn the entire city, including their son and everyone else, into lizards, <laughs> which, you know, what else are you going to do? You know? I mean... Yes, but he says, no more pain, no more suffering. 
and, she, and she's like just like well, a, yeah, she i'll be like you <laughs> yeah he, he mentions like he starts doing like he goes down like a real like eugenics route with it he's like yeah. a new more superior being will take over he definitely and says like, race like yes. he says oh, wait, he a superior does, yeah, race just, <laughs> yes this, and, and and then his wife astutely points out but you can't even turn your device on with your weird lizard hands, you idiot. You need a human hand to do that, stupid. So, uh, but he's, he's still not dissuaded. He still wants to, uh, to set up and, and turn on his, uh, his device. But thankfully, Spider-Man arrives just in the nick of time. And we actually, the, the bit of violence I was surprised that we got, and I did see a note that this was actually centered in some of the syndicated air airings, but uh, when Spider-Man sort of arrives, uh, you know, and, and the lizard notices him, he turns around and the tail whips around and hits his wife and knocks her out. And I was like, wow, I'm kind of surprised even that was allowed. But mm -hmm. uh, from there, we kind of get our final beat there. There's sort of Spider-Man and the lizard wrestling over this device that uh, the, the lizard turning people into device. And, uh, and they crash into this, uh, into the water and they're fighting under the water. And finally, Spider-Man's able to, I guess, reverse the polarity of the device sure. and use it to turn the lizard back into Kurt Connors. And uh, that's kind of where we, we start to wrap up here. Although once again, we get some dialogue that Spider-Man didn't forget about the other guy. He saved the, uh, the, <laughs> the, uh, the construction worker before. Uh -huh. uh, and, uh, and then yes, we, get one final scene where Eddie Brock is uh, demanding that J. Jonah Jameson and the police come with him to Dr. Connor's house because Connor's is the lizard. He has to be. I saw it with my own eyes. And J. Jonah Jameson's like, I don't know about this because I know Kurt Connors and he's a pretty respectable man. So you better have some great proof. <laughs> so Eddie knocks on the door and wouldn't you know it, the regular Kurt Connors is there with his wife and son and Eddie, uh, Eddie Brock is made to look the fool by Spider-Man. I tell you, JJ, the lizard is Kurt Connors. I would have had you out here earlier, but Spider-Man webbed me. Dr. Connors is a respected scientist, Brock. And Peter Parker already brought me photos of the lizard early this morning. But I'll show you the lizard himself. You better be right about this. Boss, if I'm wrong, I'll... I'll, I'll eat today's issue with a bugle. J. Jonah Jameson, what brings you here this morning? <gasps> you want it cooked or raw? We get one final little bit of monologuing from Spider-Man about uh, it's never a dull moment in New York. And oh, and also he got the thousand dollars for the lizard picture. So he and uh, he and Aunt May don't have to be out on, out on the street. So it's a happy ending for everyone. Roll credits. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's great. I think. Uh, I think. Uh... <laughs> I'm just trying. I'm just trying to collect my thoughts here. Uh, as far as an episode of television, this is an episode of television. You know, it sure is. There are a lot of episodes of television, and this is certainly one of them. Um, it starts and it ends. There's some. <laughs> there's some things that happen in between. No, but in all seriousness, it. This is a big bowl of okay. It's a fine episode. It's fine. Twenty one minutes. There the thing that we've talked about always when we've alluded to or done any 
universe comparisons between this and our standard shows is there is no comparison Uh, these these shows are very very different and that's that's okay like these can exist on their own these are these are to me these are in the same ballpark as watching an episode of the super friends or watching an episode of i don't know uh I can't think of anything else. The, the, even the iron, like the other Marvel shows, like Mm -hmm. it's just, it's not the same. It's not the same tone. It's not the same setting. It's not the same artwork. It's not the same music. It's not the same style. It's not the same directors. So it doesn't have the same budget either. So we're not, we're not shellacking the, uh, you know, the people that made this, I'm sure this was still made with everyone trying to do their best, but yeah, it's just, it's not, it's not comparable. And so you're trying to kind of grade on a curve a little bit, I think. Yeah. And well, I don't know if it was made, I don't know. Well, maybe the people directly involved, the writers, you, you can't fault them, but the the person that helmed it in, in Avi Arad was, was simultaneously the runner of Marvel and he owned Marvel basically at this point and also Toy Biz. Mm-hmm. So he very much looked at this from all reports and everything that's been written about this show as a vehicle to sell action figures, which is why there are bright, bright colors and funny accessories. And a lot of the stories are uh, involve very marketable plastic items that you can put on a a toy shelf and have a child buy and want for Christmas. So that it's a, it was a different strategy. That's taking the modern day star Wars strategy sort of, or some of what some of accused star Wars of and, and applying it to a a cartoon. So that puts your writers sort of in a, I know that that a lot of the writers talked about kind of being boxed in and not wanting, being told not to tell, you know, do long, form storytelling or to steer away from some of the more complicated elements that they tried to adapt from the comics. So I think that the writers had best intentions. I just don't think it sounds like a lot of times they may have been handcuffed by people above them. Well, so. yeah, and I think that again, again, both both to compare this to Batman the Animated Series, which was airing at the same time on the same network. Uh, I mean, that that t- tells you the, you know, what what Bruce Tim and Eric Radomski had in an, an executive producer who was Jean McCurdy at the time and how she was willing to go to bat for them and how she was willing to sort of, you know, back them on their vision for the show. Yeah. And on the other hand, if you have a, a someone in charge or an executive producer who is looking at this as, Hey, the end goal here is to sell toys. So let's not complicate this. Let's not overthink it. Let's just tell an adventure show that kids can watch and not really think you know overthink it and and let's make this as cheaply as we can um that's yeah that's 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 another difference it's who who was in charge and who was in charge of who was in charge right uh, and who was willing to you know again you know if you don't have an executive producer or someone at the studio sort of backing your decisions and 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 all that kind of stuff yeah i, I it's that's that's a huge difference and it's definitely very apparent in in the storytelling and as we'll talk about in a second here our visuals but uh, i guess we should get to our plot scores here cal <laughs> um this was hard for me to score I, I like i had some fun recapping it here and like you said there's nothing particularly wrong with it as a story um i i settled on a five out of ten like it's it's all right i don't they don't really try to throw you off i guess they try to throw you off the trail a little bit with 
the lizard has Kurt Connors tied up in a tarp or whatever. Right. But they don't really try to throw any red herrings in there to make you think someone else could be the lizard. I guess there's some tension in in Spider-Man, uh, like of Eddie Brock trying to expose it. But I mean, like the other thing is like Spider-Man's also in this for the money. Right. Like, he's also trying to get the picture, but I guess he's trying to get the picture of the lizard without ruining Kurt Connor's life. Um, Which yeah. it's weird. I, yeah, I don't know. Is it fair that Dr. Connor's they didn't really blame him going crazy. Like, I guess they sort of did. Like he lost his mind as a result of it, but there's no, there's, he doesn't go to prison. Like there's no, there's shouldn't, shouldn't there have been some sort of, I don't know, something that there, he caused some destruction in some ways, right? He wrecked that, wrecked that one college room, I guess, <laughs> put that one guy through hell and held him hostage for a couple of days. There's no ramifications for his, for his lizardness. <laughs> yeah that's always the thing i guess i guess man bat gets off pretty scot-free on the on the batman side if you're that's fair. comparison but yeah there is that thing where he willingly did this to himself it wasn't an accident from what we can tell um he willingly experimented on himself and turned himself into this thing yeah i don't i don't know it's like like i said i think i think I appreciate the idea, of, uh, and that, that was also, I think, an, an additional justification for the lack of fisticuffs. Mm-hmm, is, mm-hmm. is Spider-Man going? Well, I can't hit him because because he's my friend or my mentor, and and I don't want to, I don't want to hurt him. I just got to try to figure out a way to cure him. So there's there's probably again, it's all it all comes down to the standards and practices and selling toys at the end of the day. So yeah, yeah. I settled on a five out of ten for my plot. Yeah, I gave it actually the same exact score. I'm grading on a curve here. Again, it's hard. It's hard when we're looking at, and we do this with several of the shows that we do, even in the DCAU. So it's 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 based on what we see, and and the plot here uh, is is based on the fact they adapted a a pretty faithful adaptation of the lizard origin story from the comics, and uh, you know Peter sort of doesn't he doesn't have any sort of he doesn't really have time to i think really wrestle with the ramifications of having to take down his own teacher like it just the episode moves so quickly it's just he finds out that the lizard is dr connor's and then he's kind of next scene is chasing down dr connor's to figure out you know what to figure out how to get this picture of him and figure out um you know how he can stop him like there's not really a, there's not really a, a, a beat where he gets to really consider the fact that he might have to come to blows with his friend so or you know his mentor or his his own teacher so i think some some of those beats this episode could have slowed down a little bit maybe if you take out the whole aunt may underwater and needs money bit <laughs> which i get like you said is definitely a classic spider-man trope but if you had taken that story beat out, you may have had, you may have had a little bit more time to sort of flesh some of that stuff out. Anyway, mm. it's fine. It's a fine 22 minute episode that ultimately is foiled because the lizard doesn't have opposable thumbs. Apparently. <laughs> or, a tale or, as old as time, as we like to say here. Yep. It's uh, that neogenic recombinator. <laughs>
All right, moving on to our next category, Liam, which is going to be visuals and animation. And uh, one of the things that you actually pointed out before we went on the air is that because this is the pilot, it benefits from the fact that they didn't have any animation to reuse. Although I feel like there were a few spots in the episode where they actually just clipped and took <laughs> took uh, one of the previous scenes and just played it backwards or forwards. So there were a couple spots where I felt like they reused animation even within the episode. But that that I feel like famously is what this series, alongside maybe one of the other bigger things that we'll uh, I'll throw to you to talk about which is mm -hmm. the inclusion of CGI baby <laughs> yeah that's that's fascinating to me and the thing that, that about the CGI backgrounds is it's not all the time or even just when he's swinging mm -hmm. because I think if it was either of those things I still wouldn't like it it would still look bad but I would probably be able to get used to it mm -hmm. But like shot there's in the sequence at the beginning of the episode when he is uh, swinging through the city, uh, it's pretty much all just normal, like hand hand drawn and painted backgrounds. And then we get to the sequence where the the guy who is driving away from the lizard is is freaking out and driving and endangering people in traffic. And then it's like shot to shot, the backgrounds are changing. Sometimes it's a regular static painted background and the car's moving. Sometimes it's a CGI building uh, background and, and those are kind of moving instead. Sometimes it looks like a drawn and animated background. It's like, it's one thing to do it like scene to scene or to do it for like a certain aesthetic, like I said, for the web swinging or something, mm -hmm. but it's within five seconds. It's like it cuts, the shot cuts. And in the next shot, the background has changed. It's really distracting. And uh, yeah, it was just, I thought that was, that was really, uh, really annoying and really took me out of it for a little bit of the episode. Um, I do have some good things to say about, about the, the action sequences we got. Um, I think the scene in the rain, I think, uh, I think it always helps with a show like this when you set something at night or in the dark because you use more shadow and the, and the palette, uh, the color palette is darker and maybe that hides some of the weaker animation and, and things like that. So I thought that sequence in the rain where Spider-Man sort of swings out and lands on the wall and is sort of calling out to the lizard and then, and then is, as you mentioned, tossed and thrown through a tree house, I think is pretty, <laughs> it's very wacky. Like you just don't think of Spider-Man fighting in like a backyard too often i liked when the lizard picks up a tricycle to hurl it at him too yes that was really good yes i love that so there's there's that's kind of a fun wacky setting i like him like i said suspending eddie brock by his by his shoulders mm -hmm. uh on the on the web on the web thing and then that final sequence where he's in the sewers and uh and like there's a spot where he goes to crawl on the ceiling and he like he's like sticks his hand in some sort of mucky substance and falls into the water like there's some a good bit of like slapstick comedy to that sequence and then the final bit where they're sort of wrestling over the device and they're under the water and and sort of fighting back and forth i think that's pretty solid as well and uh, i think the lizard himself like when when he's doing something when he when they have the the big tail sort of whipping back and forth i think that that looks pretty good as well so 
there's not without positive things to say in in uh, in total there but uh yeah not uh again we're certainly grading on a curve with this as well <laughs> that's for sure yeah a couple of things i did mention i also had notated the anytime that there were there were dark the scenes were darker the times where he's actually in the sewer i thought that those were those looked a little bit aesthetically more aesthetically pleasing as you said we've notated that even in in the Batman and, and some of the Superman episodes as well, mm-hmm. um, that sometimes when things are, are darker, it just, it looks better. <laughs> it just looks better for whatever reason. Um, I thought that the glowing eyes trick that they did with the lizard was a neat one also. I thought that they, really? they, they used that right off the bat and they sort of used the shadow to obscure his face in that opening scene. And then later on, they kind of bring the, the glowing eyes back just as a reminder as to what these these, uh, these subway workers were specifically talking about. So I loved that. I thought that was great. Um, I think the lizard looks cool. I think mostly everybody looks him and spider-man look pretty mm-hmm. neat i did see there was some inconsistency it seemed in the way that they cell shaded spider-man there mm. were some scenes where he had cell shading exclusively on the blue parts of his suit like there was no shading on the red at all and i i think maybe some of that was because the black webbing is all all the, uh, already on there so mm-hmm um they they kind of shied away from that but i i think that there were there were a few scenes uh, especially in the in the sewers where they decided to sell shade a little bit over on the red and that that i felt looked 10 times better than than some of the scenes where (laughs) that didn't that didn't occur um but yeah i i think for the most part those are the those are the the most interesting visuals uh that you know of course the character designs for these are are pretty. I was shocked. They're actually pretty timeless. I feel like, like I don't know, Peter's weird sort of green blue polo green shirt polo tucked into his slacks. Yeah, it's a little '90s. I'm not gonna lie, but you know, '90s fashion is is mm-hmm. in vogue these days. So who knows? Maybe go outside and see somebody rocking that that uh, white collared green and blue striped <laughs> polo tucked in a shirt and won't be all that alien to what you, you what do you what did you think about his rain gear with his little hat i did like the hat you know it, it at least you know he's keeping his head dry <laughs> <laughs> i guess i don't know it's fine um yeah that i why wasn't eddie brock wearing a little hat that was my question <laughs> he doesn't care about his hair all right uh j jonah jameson uh probably the best character the most memorable looking character mm-hmm. for this show on model certainly set the precedent for for j jonah jameson's going forward so we'll talk about him and voice acting in just a little bit as well but overall you know again grading on a curve i i didn't didn't hate the episode i thought that there was plenty to look at and knowing that there wasn't going to be any fisticuffs i i watched a watched somebody's documentary last night talking about this uh, a youtube documentary talking about spider-man the animated series and they mentioned that in the entire 65 episode run there were three punches thrown three (laughs) three times so going into this episode knowing that there this likely was not going to be one of those 65 episodes when all is said and done since it was a pilot episode that you're trying to sell to the network it it, knowing that there wasn't going to be any punches thrown it was fine i think it it uh it certainly could have used a little bit less cgi and uh you know i i think it it's fine though it didn't suffer the as we said the notorious reused animation tropes that seem to plague things later on uh Mm -hmm. but 
Uh, I will say my one, my, my highest critique, which I feel like sets this episode apart. And we talked about it recently when we were watching uh, one of the Batman animated series episodes was the way that this series is cut. And that is that there are so many quick changes mm-hmm. and camera, like the, the basically what would be the camera moving directions and different points of view. It cuts so quickly that we don't, we don't have time to really settle on what we're looking at it sometimes, which maybe works towards this episode's benefit because you're not staring at some animation that is lackluster at times, but also it just makes things move so fast and feel like you're watching an, uh, an episode strictly designed for people with ADD. It's just a little bit cut, 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 cut. cut. Yeah. I, I do wonder if that's to cover up like one, again, it's you have to animate less because you don't have to do like a transition where, spider-man jumps off the hood of the car and onto the front you just kind of cut and then he's there mm-hmm. or or that kind of stuff or or if if it's you know do with like what kind of storyboarding they did it or if that's just the way they wanted it to look and like you said it's more of a you know kids have short attention spans we got to constantly be changing changing what they're looking at and how they're looking at it but right regardless yes i definitely agree with that there's a lot of a lot of really quick cuts and and changes in angle and things like that Grading on a curve, though, I ended up with a score of six out of ten for this episode. What about you? Uh, yeah, I went with the exact same score. I think uh, probably would have gotten a little bit lower, but I think yeah, I think the the two uh, later fight scenes with the, the lizard, and as you mentioned, that that introduction to the lizard is good, and the the bit where they go into Doctor Connor's office and you kind of just see the silhouette, I think is is pretty good and atmospheric as well. So. Yeah, not not uh, not great, but even within this uh, this weaker animated world, I think it's uh, it's a solid. It's a solid effort. Yeah, that's that's a decent score, and I think it's higher, honestly, than what I would have expected it might be, <laughs> based on based on what I thought kind of going into things here. But all right, William, let's move on to our next category, which is going to be music. Uh, as we mentioned, this actually does have a live orchestral production when it comes to music. Uh, the show's music was done by actually uh, Saban Entertainment. They, uh, they, of course, also did the Notorious X-Men uh, mm-hmm. music for the x-men animated series they also did a lot of other famous of course power rangers probably most notably mm-hmm. for their their other other things that they worked on here but before we get into the actual show's music i think we should take some time to talk about the aforementioned joe perry composed that's right the joe perry of aerosmith composed theme song which to me i'm gonna throw this out here uh i like the spider-man spider-man does whatever a spider can song mm-hmm. but uh this is the quintessential spider-man theme to me i'm kind of with you on that like i think it's it's good there's not a lot of lyrics to it which is fine um <laughs> it does have that weird like bridge part where he's the guy's just going spider blood spider blood over and over again <laughs> like a real psychopath <laughs> It's something a serial killer would say when they were trying to psych themselves up to murder someone. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I do. I do think that that hits. What's interesting to me is because that that theme song and it is great and it's it's catchy and you find yourself humming it after you've watched it. 
It's got the great guitar solo towards the end of it as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, tremendous piece of, of rock music. But interestingly, as you said, we have sort of a very traditional orchestral theme uh, you know, a la uh, maybe not to the same uh, ability or quality of a, of a Shirley Walker theme, but we do have no, kind of normal cartoon uh, orchestra music for the, for the rest of this. So what's interesting to me is that they didn't, they didn't uh, think to like employ rock music as the, as the general tone for this show, like we, like we saw later on with a, a Justice League Unlimited or or something like that. Um, so that's, that. I feel like maybe that would have been a point in this, this show's favor, but maybe that would have made it a little more dated to watch if it was just constantly screeching uh, guitars and everything and everything was super over the top with the music there. But uh, yeah, that that's something that's kind of stuck out to me is that the theme is so hard rock and it's just guitar and synthesizers and all this, all these effects and everything. And then you get to the regular music and it's, and it's fine. Um, and I do like, and a la uh, several of our, our regular DC shows that we review, they do pretty regularly work the Spider-Man theme into the episode, into his more heroic moments, or even just the start when he's first just kind of swinging through the city, chatting about how he loves New York. New York City. If only everything down there was really as peaceful as it looks from up here. kind of get it played in a few different ways and played sort of softer at the beginning and then maybe a bit more heroic heroically when it's brought in towards the end of the episode so I do like that they layer that theme in even if I kind of feel like the genre of music they chose was was an interesting one yeah yeah and I, I think it actually lends to I know I, I in doing some research on this show uh, John Semper Jr. that we mentioned at the beginning who was the uh, who's pretty much responsible for producing and writing and editing a lot of this show also uh, maybe famously won a uh, he won an Emmy for his work on Static Shock later on so definitely some DCAU connection there as well and uh, also currently or, or has has also written some stuff I know for for DC Comics as well part of a cyborg series as well so he's uh he's around in the dc universe as well but i know his specific mm -hmm. take on this was to approach every every episode as if it was very movie like so you do get some of that classic what you would think of for the time movie composer uh soundtrack in the background just some orchestral soundtrack that you would hear wouldn't be alien in a disney movie or in a you know, a, a live action kids movie for the time with that said. And I, I don't know, I, I went back and forth on this because it's not the, the music is fine. It's just constant. It, that you get no air from, from the music. And we've talked about that before when in comparison for what they did in Batman, the animated series was there wasn't this constant need for music to be playing in the background. There were scenes that you only heard the sound effects that were happening on screen. And, you know, the, the footsteps of Batman in the Batcave with the, with the bats flying in the background or calling in the background and the echo in the cave, there wasn't constant music every single scene which allowed some of those scenes and the dialogue to take center stage this feels like at times it's just a mumble jumble of different things because you have spider-man's constant 
jabbering over top of what's going on on the screen you have the music behind him like playing in in these high-pitched tones it feels like and then you have action on the screen that you're trying to watch and take that all in at the same time and it's just the the music just loses out in those those cases because it just it it feels like it's (laughs) it's it's added it's just there to be annoying um I do. I agree with you. I, I think the inclusion of having the Spider-Man theme recurring, uh, especially in, in the action points or the points as he's swinging through the city, or even as we're wrapping up the episode, there was some. You know, he's swinging away and doing his monologue over top of you know over top of it. Um, I I love having that 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 come back over and over again to kind of remind you of his theme and kind of hopefully. Uh, in those in those scenes uh, in the future that are that are the higher intensity that you're reminded of okay the the adventure's kicking off here we've got got spider-man's theme kicking in here um and i didn't hate the the little wrap-up music at the end that when he presents the money to aunt may and he's trying to come up with an excuse for why how he was able to get get uh, get the pictures of spider-man by the way kids yeah it's not good to stay at home by yourself but it's okay to lie to your parental figure about where you got money from <laughs> everything's fine with that don't worry about that yeah we were we were really married to secret identities even marvel <laughs> was in the 90s in mm-hmm. a way that i feel like comics is just for better or worse has just sort of evolved past mm-hmm. at least at least to the point where the idea of like the I don't know how old Peter Parker is supposed to be here, like 30, but, or he could be like, I don't know, he could be 18 or he could be 30. It's hard to tell. Uh, but last man going to college, who knows? Yeah. I guess it's a graduate school. So maybe he's in his late twenties, but anyway. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to, uh, the idea of like a grown person, I feel like that era of, uh, of, of comic book storytelling has kind of gone away for better or worse, but it is kind of funny to have that moment be like, uh, yeah, I followed Spider-Man into the sewer and took this picture. Um, so yeah, I think maybe maybe it still works as kind of a you know a joke as, as like for for comedy purposes. But yeah, it's it's kind of a funny note to go out on here, and the music does play a part of that too. Yeah. So uh, with that said, I I just I don't like the way that the music is used, but I think that the music is fine. the The theme song absolutely is a banger uh you know mm-hmm. it slaps as the kids used to say so uh, yeah i i went with <laughs> that actually gave me most of my score based on the fact uh that i really don't care for the the general background uh, orchestral music so uh with that said i went with a middle of the road five out of ten what about you nice yeah i, uh, I went just one point higher i went six out of ten i think i probably would have settled on the five but uh yeah that theme song man it's just great it is great great piece of music and uh you can tell that a lot of effort was put into it and it really does get you hyped like i like i would watch more episodes of this show just to hear that theme song (laughs) Um, agreed i i tune out on my phone while the show's actually going on but then when uh when the song comes back on i'll i'll pay attention then so right even the even the like the the part at the end the credits where they don't actually play the sound effects over top of it so it's Mm -hmm. a little bit more clear that love that love Mm -hmm. watching the Mm -hmm. credits all right liam well that will bring us to our final category of the day which is going to be our voice acting uh at least one or two familiar voices that we may recognize here uh, in in our voice cast here but uh a fairly large one based on this being our very first episode let's talk about this week's voice cast 
That's right. Uh, I'll rapid fire through a few of these names that uh, don't have a, a lot to do in the episode, but we have uh, Linda Gary as Aunt May. We have Rodney Salisbury as Robbie Robertson. Uh, we have Liz Georges as, as Deborah Whitman. Uh, we do have uh, Toby Ganger as Billy, who is, of course, is, uh, is Kurt, Kurt Connor's son, uh, playing his wife, Margaret. Margaret is uh, Giselle Lauren, who folks uh, listening to this show might remember as Stargirl on Justice League Unlimited. We have, uh, I don't believe we've covered an episode with Stargirl in it yet, but uh, we'll, we'll get there someday. But yeah, I thought, uh, I thought she did it. She, she does have, as you mentioned, uh, the best part of the episode, maybe, which is when she, when he's, when the lizard is droning on about, uh, you know, the next phase of evolution and the superior race of lizard men. And she goes, you can't, you need human hands to operate your device that's going to turn us into lizard people. I love you too. I need you and I need your help with this. I need your hands to operate it for me. Mine can't grasp the other human got weak, scared. What are you going to do with that? Don't be afraid, Margaret. It'll transform you. You'll be able to heal any wound, replace any limb. First you, then everyone. Once I connect the neogenic recombinator to these electrical conduits, I can reach every home in the city. Every man, woman, and child. I can transform all of them. No more suffering. No more pain. But Kurt, after you transform everyone, we'll all be like you. Of course. I'm the first of a new race, a better race. If you're so much better, why do you need my hands to help you? You're not better. Look what you've become. No! You're twisting things. I can make people well again. And he's like, uh, uh, she, she, she broke him on the wheel of logic there. So I, 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 she had a good line there. But uh, yeah, speaking of the lizard, we do have a Joseph Campanella playing him. Uh, I believe we talked about him previously in Paging the Crime Doctor. Uh, ah, I knew I recognized that voice. Titular Crime Doctor in that episode. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think he... A lot of the episode, he's the lizard, so he doesn't really get a lot to do as as Kurt Connors. But, you know, I, again, I think that sequence, I don't know if it was meant to be sort of darkly humorous, but I think when he's arguing with his wife about how he wants to turn everyone to lizards, I thought I thought that's pretty entertaining one way or the other. <laughs> yeah, it was weird because he gets he gives out this full sentence in the very first intro where he's like, get away from me. You don't you know, he's trying to he's trying to scare Peter away from the lab. Mm -hmm. But then in the very next scene where he's like outside of his his home window, he like it's almost like he's a monster, not quite understanding. He's like, Billy, like, he's you know, he's like delivering the lines if he's struggling to speak. And then for the rest of the episode, he speaks just very clearly. So, uh, yeah, he's he's perfectly fine. I, I think it is. It's a weird voice. It's weird that they decided not to do like a, a modulator of some kind. It's just like a man's voice coming out of this green reptile dinosaur looking man. Um, so it's not his performance. It's just if I were go if I have if 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 I were going back in time and making a choice for this, I probably would have given him a, a scarier sounding voice. But <laughs> of course, this this is the series that changed Sinister uh, because to sit insidious because Sinister was too spooky. So maybe <laughs> they just didn't want to scare the kiddos. There you go. But yeah, elsewhere in our cast, before we get to our main actor, we do. 
course have to mention we have the great and uh, unfortunately just recently passed uh, Ed Asner, uh, Granny Goodness herself uh, playing playing the role of J. Jonah Jameson. Fantastic, fantastic as 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 a J. Jonah Jameson. Like, Absolutely, Absolutely. Uh, really, it really embodies just that. There's just like there has to be this certain like the certain edge to a J. Jonah Jameson, I think, for it to work. And he's not, obviously, I think, in more more modernly, people would think of, of course, the, the great job that J.K. Simmons does in the live action stuff. But as far as a cartoon 90s J. Jonah Jameson, picture perfect, pitch perfect performance for Matt Asner. Oh, ab- absolutely. I think the very end where, where Eddie Brock swears that if, if Kurt Connors isn't the lizard, he's going <laughs> to eat the Daily Bugle and then, uh, then, you know, we get J. Jonah Jameson ask him if he likes it fried or well done or whatever he says. It's, it's just the delivery <laughs> of the line is perfectly, like perfectly done. Uh, so, yeah, we and and he's got he's got much more heavy lifting to do with with uh, the rest of the, the series ahead of him because he plays a pretty big role throughout, of course, as one of Spider-Man's main foils. So, yeah, yeah he's he's great. Not surprising. Uh, a, a guy that we've appreciated for many, 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 many years and mm-hmm. um, appreciated all of his work that he did in the DCAU uh, turned in a pretty great performance here in the, in the, in the Marvel animated universe as well. Absolutely. And uh, speaking of Eddie Brock, we do have a, uh, another familiar voice named Hank Azaria, who would best be known as playing like 400 different Simpsons characters uh, most, most likely, but yeah, you know, a voice acting legend, I would say at this point, Mm -hmm. uh, funny to hear him be this, this kind of, they they do a good job. I do like that because we we do get to Venom fairly early in this series. I think it's in the in the first thirteen episodes. Venom shows up, but we do at least get this episode and I think one or two others where you do kind of build up to it. And you have Eddie Brock is just this kind of sniveling, whiny like punk that's 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 running around trying to outdo Peter Parker. I think that adds to to the whole idea of a Venom character that I, I don't necessarily think has been captured very well in more recent live action mediums is that that like both Peter, both Venom and Eddie Brock both hate Peter Parker and Spider-Man for different reasons. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And when they come together, it, it makes like the ultimate bad guy for Spider-Man. So the idea that they're kind of work rivals and then Spider-Man's kind of, uh, you know, screwing with Eddie Brock and tying him to light posts and stuff here and, it's kind of played for comedy here, but then you can kind of use it for the the more serious turn the character takes later on. So I and I like Hank Azaria as just this this like annoying kind of New York accent, sniveling, <laughs> sniveling, sneaky guy. Yeah, yeah, and and he he goes toe to toe with Peter. I like that these this version of Peter is is less of like the schlubby schlubby loser at least right off the bat we're not introduced Mm -hmm. to him as a schlubby loser so it's less that eddie is is the bully and peter is the loser and it's more that they're sort of equals or peers working together that just have this rivalry where they both don't really care for each other and at least in this episode peter gets the upper hand pretty easily and and the uh the you know the 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 sniveling underhanded guy ends up ends up having to almost quite literally eat a newspaper at the end. So eat his own <laughs> words at the end of the uh, episode. So yeah, Hank Azaria is a definitely a voice acting legend. And I'm sure if we were to watch more episodes of this, this show, we would see better performances and more in-depth performances as we get further into the, uh, the Eddie Brock Venom storylines. Absolutely. And uh, that brings us to the main event here. Uh, 
Christopher Daniel Barnes playing Peter Parker slash Spider-Man. Um, I remember not really liking his Spider-Man voice when I was a kid. Um, <laughs> I Listening to it now, again, I can understand, especially because now I look at his wow he had a lot of lines mm-hmm. like, this poor guy was just in that vo booth for hours because he has to narrate literally everything that's happening on the screen there's constant as we've talked about there's constant dialogue and constant music and he's just and he's of course the main voice because not only does he have his spoken lines but he has this sort of constant inner monologue where he's talking about either what he's doing or what he's thinking about aunt may or about getting the picture for the money or about oh, how do I stop Doc Connors because he's my friend and I don't want to hurt him. And it's like, just doing, he's got a lot to do and I appreciate him in that way <laughs> uh, in that I could see that he was really doing some heavy lifting here. And I do think there is a certain charm to it as a, if you're looking at it as a kid's cartoon from the 90s. Like, I think there's a charm to it that I did not appreciate when I was a kid. So uh, yeah, I, I think he does, he's fine. He does fine for what this show is, what we've been talking about for the last 45 minutes or so. I think he is a perfectly good and suitable Spider-Man for this world. Agreed. I don't, it's like you said, it's not his fault that he was given a probably a stack of, of pages for each episode of dialogue to do and had to, he's also dealing with a character weirdly to say this because most superheroes wear masks and this is all cartoons Mm -hmm. that we're watching but he wears a mask so there's not much emotion that's that's expressed outside of maybe some eye movements Mm -hmm. uh it's and it's not quite like the tom holland eye movements or the batman eye movements that we're used to where they allow them to express emotion it's just slightly enlarged or slightly shocked or slightly curious or whatever so he does have to communicate emotion on top of all of the dialogue that he's given so yeah it i don't think he would win an award for you know great acting any place <laughs> but for a generation undoubtedly this is a spy this is the spider-man voice uh you know this is the the spider-man that they grew up on um he of course plays this role over this entire series and plays it in uh you know crossover episodes and the other x uh, X x-men and the other uh marvel animated series episodes that he ended up being in so for a lot of people this is their spider-man and what they were used to um yeah i think i think there's some some pretty interesting examples of his overacting outside of this episode (laughs) if you just google some of the intense dialogue that he had to deliver in certain scenes and his way of way of doing so specifically like the symbiote spider-man episode you can check that out um this this episode is pretty mild when it compares to his his overacting so I, i think it's it's fine i think the only parts where i was like cringing a little bit was the dialogue as he's fighting with dr connor's over the neogenic uh, recombinator underwater and he's like think about it just three days ago this man was my teacher and now we're fighting for this <laughs> it's like all right man like all right yeah i know i know you were given these lines but come on <laughs> you're fighting you're fighting a lizard man underwater yeah life's crazy Strange, so strange. A week ago, this creature was a scientist. My teacher, 
My friend. He cared for people and wanted to help them just as I do. And now look at the both of us fighting each other, fighting for our lives. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, he's he's fine. Otherwise, it's 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 OK. He's he's OK. And he's doing a lot at the lion's share of the episode and uh, probably had it didn't I, I don't know who the voice uh, director was but we can't all they can't all be Shirley Walker that's for sure so um what for what he had working with him here I think he did a fine job and this episode in a in a vacuum I think was fine for for his performance that's right uh, casting and voice director for this is Tony Pastor is his name so. okay all right. Yeah, along with uh, I believe Ralph Ralph J Rivera is the other name for casting. So yeah, a, uh, uh, yeah. Like I said, I think I think he is doing his best with what is is given to him. Mm-hmm. There is a certain kind of charm, and there is there is that thing which I think some some people, especially if again, if you read Spider Man comics at really at any point, you want a Spider Man who's sort of constantly talking and quipping and making jokes and. When he has the bit when he's going to the sewers where he's like, I bet the Fantastic Four never have to go into the sewers. And, and uh, I bet the Avengers don't either. Like, I think that's that's kind of cute and charming there. And I, I think he does a, a solid job. His quips. Yeah, I thought his quips like I thought I would be more annoyed with the quips. And I thought that the quips <laughs> were the most charming part of his delivery. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. Yeah, so for all those reasons, like I said, I don't think anybody's great. I think Mr. Barnes does a, a really solid job, and I do I do really love Ed Asner as Jay Jonah. Uh, but uh, overall, I just ended up settling on a five out of, and I think mostly because the lizard doesn't do much for me. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of middle of the road five out of ten for my voice acting here. And I went with just a tick higher. I graded on a curve, went for six out of ten. Ed Asner and uh, Hank Azaria carrying carrying the episode for the for the for the most part there with the uh, the great performances. Maybe some of their pedigree also added to that uh, to that score there. But uh, yeah, six and five, not terrible, all things considered. Here, all right, Liam. Well, that was whoa. What? You know what that sound means, Liam? I actually, don't because we've never heard it before. Well, here in April Fool's world, in the uh, <laughs> in the else worlds here in the multiverse. That's right. That is the bonus point sound, Liam, of course. Anytime we review a Spider-Man episode and, and we have a bonus point to give, that's the sound that we hear. How could you forget? 100% of the times we've done a Spider-Man <laughs> review, we've heard that sound. No one can dispute that. But yes, that's right. And it is, uh, it is my bonus point, so... Uh, I will. I wanted to give a plus one, and I didn't really feel like this fit in any of our four main categories. But uh, I love the sound design of this series, uh, specifically the web shooter sound and the spider sense sound. Mm-hmm. I think those are both just fantastic grade A. Like I just yeah. think they're great. They were ingrained in my brain mm-hmm. <laughs> permanently. Uh, you know, there, there will be like co-workers and family members whose names I will forget before I forget <laughs> the sound of the web shooters and the spider sense on the Spider-Man animated series from the 90s. So uh, just plus one to that. A plus sound design on the show. I love that. Yeah. And it's interesting because that's literally the first thing that you hear is the is the web shooter sound, because that's the sound that kicks off mm-hmm. the theme song is the sound of the web shooter. And then I didn't mention it actually in visuals, but that is another cool thing, because it's not only the sound, you get the, the, the sort of flashes that happen behind Spider-Man. We get these random like 
discolorated, discolored images behind him mm-hmm. and his eyes turn green. Um, and then of course we get, get him over the top. My spider sense is going crazy. So <laughs> we, it's, it's all of that things, all of those things working together, but specifically the sound itself. And I dare say that this, uh, this is the best iteration that I've seen of Spidey sense on, of, of a Spider-Man on screen, because it really makes it stand out as opposed to just like, oh, he kind of noticed something was going on there or, you know, whatever. I, I don't feel like they've necessarily translated that power maybe intentionally into the live action very well. So uh, this, I, I feel like makes it stand out and certainly uh, certainly reminds you that that is one of his uh, his powers is his heightened sense of awareness there. So great, uh, great bonus point for that one. So absolutely. All right, let's uh, let's total things up here, Liam. And uh, coming uh, to our final scores here, I ended up with a 22 out of 40 for this week's episode. What about you? Yeah, and with the addition of my bonus point, I am just one point higher at a 23 out of 40. All right. Well, we uh, when it comes to Marvel animation here, <laughs> I guess we have to talk about rewatchability here. And uh, we're only going to talk about that in the sense of if you are watching the entire Spider-Man universe, I guess. But uh, again, we we didn't really mention it, but this these or we kind of alluded to it a couple of times, but technically there is a larger Marvel animated universe that's loosely connected from the all the way starting with the the Iron Man and Fantastic Four series and then the Spider-Man series and the X-Men series and then the Hulk and Ghost Rider and all of these other like t- slightly loosely based tie-in series that eventually sort of kind of cross over and you get voice actors sharing roles and stuff okay. like that. Sometimes the voice actors and the character designs look similar and sometimes they did not. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was sort of the wild west. Like sometimes they decided to use the same, same voice actors. Sometimes they didn't. There is a giant crossover, of course, giant crossover, uh, culmination of the the secret wars storyline that ends the spider-man the uh the the series here so you do get uh you do have a a larger marvel animated universe i guess so where what say you liam rewatchability is the for this episode speaking towards spider-man the animated series and then maybe if you're interested in getting into the marvel animated universe yeah probably a plus one for both in that case a thumbs up for both because it's the first episode of the series. So I think you got to watch it for that reason. And as an episode, it does introduce an iconic Spider-Man villain who's going to come back a couple of more times in the series. And yeah, I think, I think this is the jumping off point for this. And as you said, it crosses over with a lot of the other shows and the lizard is involved in that secret wars uh, cross big crossover event that happens at, at near the end of the series as if memory serves. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I think I think this one is a, a two thumbs up for the the Marvel animated universe rewatchability. If we're if one were to rewatch something like that, which will not be <laughs> <laughs> at least not anytime soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm with you. I, yeah, I think if you're looking at it in a vacuum, this is important to the series because it introduces a character that comes back several times on this series. As far as the grand scheme of things, yeah, I guess because it's the first episode of the series, even though it's not an origin tale, it's not any of that stuff, it does give you a kind of a lay of the land of each of the characters. So it's kind of important because those characters, if you're watching multiple shows and, and trying to trying to watch all the crossovers, it's probably important to know 
know uh, who who the characters are here in the uh, in the Spider-Man universe. So yeah, I agree, I agree with you. Two thumbs up for that if you're uh, if you're trying to do that. All right, Liam. Well, that will wrap us up for this week's crazy April Fool's episode. Don't forget, if you liked this, you need to listen to this and tell your friends to listen to this. This might be the only time that we ever listen or you ever hear us review a Marvel animated property here. So if you like this, tell your friends about it, listen to it a couple times and, uh, and leave us some feedback. Send us uh, send us some tweets. Let us know that you liked the episode. Uh, tweet, tweet us at DCAU review, comment on our post on Instagram at DCAU review, leave a comment on the video here on YouTube if you're watching on the power uh, the pod tower on youtube so youtube.com slash the pod tower if you were listening to it there let us know give us the feedback that you liked this and then we'll consider this in the future for future april fools multiverse crossing tie-in stuff if this is something that you're interested in so you guys have the power in your hands so don't uh, don't let us down if this is something that you're interested in uh, you can also of course if you don't mind leave us some feedback on your favorite podcast app that you're hopefully subscribed to us on whether that's apple podcasts google spotify wherever you listen to us they let you give some feedback leave us a five-star review if you will and then leave a little blurb if it allows you to that helps the algorithms and lets people know what's going on here at the dcau review we appreciate that you can also support us if you'd like to head over to dcaureview.com click on the store pick up some merch if you would like to support us directly there's also a link at the bottom of the episode if you want to want to support us that way you can also just, as we already mentioned, support us on our social medias. We're on the pod tower. Those are free ways to support us. We appreciate that. Liam, now that we've gotten this crazy, wacky April Fool's weekend out of the way, we are returning safe and sound back home to the DCAU, <laughs> headed back home here in April, where we are going to be discussing a show. It's, it's been a while, and, uh, and honestly, I think they were some of our most listened to episodes from last year, so I know we have a, a lot of people that like these episodes when we do them, but uh, we're going to take a trip uh, a little bit uh, further down the line from where we've been in the DCAU timeline. We're headed to, uh, to review some more Justice League Unlimited episodes. We will be kicking it off next week with a review of a very memorable one, what are we? Some kind of task force X? <laughs> That's right. It's another week of me getting to do that joke. The one joke. Turn <laughs> over again on uh, on all our social medias. We will be reviewing the aptly titled Task Force X. It's the DCAU's version of the Suicide Squad. Uh, so lots to get into with that as we head back to Justice League Unlimited for the rest of April. Uh, looking forward to that. We'll be back safe and sound. Won't be as scary here in crazy Marvel animation land. But thank you, everybody, for tuning in this week. As we said, it's been a fun episode. It's, thanks for joining us. And, uh, man, can't wait to get back home. And until next week, I'm Cal. And I'm Liam. And we'll talk to you on the next episode of the DCAU Review. Excelsior! <laughs>